into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Yes, there is order. In fact, the Apostle Paul concerning the gifts of the Spirit said, let all things be done decently and in order. That was not his way of discouraging the operation of the gifts. That was not Paul's way of throwing a wet blanket on the gifts of the Spirit operating. That was his way of providing the necessary order in which the gifts can operate and be efficacious in their operation. We focus a lot of times on the decently and in order, but we don't focus as much on the let all things be done. We're supposed to be doing things. We're supposed to be doing all things decently and in order, yes, but let the flow of the Spirit take place. Let the pneuma, let the pneuma, let the Holy Ghost have his way. Let God breathe. Ezekiel, can these bones live? Lord, thou knowest, prophesy to these bones. Oh, ye bones, you shall live. You're going to come together. Hear me, oh, ye dry bones, you're going to live. I will put breath in you. And the bones, when the word of the Lord came upon them, the Bible said there was a noise. Oh, hallelujah. Don't be afraid of the noise. And there was a shaking. Don't be afraid of the shaking. And the bones began to come together. Bone to his bone. Then he said prophesy to the winds. Oh four winds come. Oh winds come and blow upon these bones that they may live. And the wind of God. Can I tell you it's the same wind that blew on the day of Pentecost. Can I tell you it's the same wind that came into Adam's lungs. Can I tell you it's the same wind, hallelujah, that separated the Red Sea and caused them to walk through on dry ground. Oh, wind of God, blow upon these bones. We must have a move of the Spirit. I was in Indiana. I was about 20 years old, and I received a phone call. And on the other end of the line, I was co-pastoring with my father at the time. And on the other end of the line, a lady said, is this Joel Urshan? I said, yes, it is. She said, uh, oh, good. She said, we want to get in touch with you. We want to ask if you could come preach for us. I said, oh, I'd be honored. She said, um, okay. She said, we're in Greenfield, Indiana. Well, Greenfield was 10 minutes from where I lived in Kokomo, Indiana. And I said, really? And I thought, okay, I knew the, a couple churches in that area, some apostolic churches, and I, I mentioned the pastor's name. Or you said, are you, I said, are you with Pastor so-and-so? She said, no, no. She said, we are uh, Hillsdale United Methodist Church. I said, oh, okay. And she said, would you be interested in coming? I said, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We met with them. And and, and, and she said, we'd like you to, to connect with us, and we'll plan out the tent meeting. And she said, now, we're going to have lots of denominations there. We're going we're gonna to bring all kinds of denominations together for this. And I'm just listening, and, and they're talking amongst themselves, and I'm a part of the meeting. And she said, they, they said, now, now uh, who could we get to lead worship? Does anybody know of a good praise team? I said, we've got a praise team that could do that for you. 
and they, they said, okay, good, good. So we'll have, we'll have uh, Brother Joel's praise team there. And they said, now who should, we, who should we have do the altar service? I said, I can take care of the altar service for you. They said, okay, Brother Joel, take care of the altar service. I said, all right, this is looking good. We started having meetings with our leaders and said, listen, we're going to have, we're going to believe God for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We're going to come together under this tent, and we're going to have several denominations who may never come together again. And we're going to ask God to pour out His Spirit upon this meeting. So we, we had some altar work training and, and, and just really went into detail of how we're going to conduct ourselves and talked with the praise team, talked with the altar team, and, and, and trained them. And we go into this meeting. The first night, there was three nights. The first night, I preached a message about the, the peace of God. And, uh, and, it, and the Lord blessed, the Lord blessed. And the next night I preached about the liberty of God. And the Lord blessed then too. The third night I was sitting there getting ready to preach and the Lord spoke to me and said, Joel, tonight you got to let it all out. You don't get to hold anything back. you got to tell them exactly what the truth of the gospel is. Now, there were Catholics, there were Nazarenes, there were Church of Christ, there were Mennonites, there were Charismatics, there were Assembly of God, there were Methodists. It was a Methodist church. And so I got up and I said, Lord, I'm in your hands. They may run me out of here, I don't know. But I preached on the mighty God in Christ. And I preached on repentance from sin. And I preached on baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And I preached on the receiving of the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues. And I preached that the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I didn't know I didn't know if they were going to I didn't know if they were going to attack me. I didn't know what was going to happen. That's not what happened. They started standing to their feet, lifting up their hands, receiving the word of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I thought, Lord, you've got to do something here. You've got to do something. I, th th nobody knew what to do. No, I was 20 years old and everybody was out there. No, nobody knew what to do next. And I said, Lord, you've got to do something. I saw a young man, teenager, about three-fourths of the way back. He was weeping. His, his te tears were streaming down his face. And, 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 and I, I saw him standing back there and I thought, that's the guy. I went back to him. I laid hands on him and prayed for him and nothing happened. And I turned around and came up to the front and I, I said, Lord, you've got you to break this open in Jesus' name. Lord, you just got to do this work right now. And he was standing next to Sister Willis. Now, you've got to know Sister Willis. Sister Willis is a precious saint of God. And she goes into the prisons and preaches and sings. And she carries her guitar with her when she would go sing and preach in the prisons. And her guitar, she had Jesus in glitter above the strings. And she had Acts 2.38 and glitter under the strings. Sister Willis, didn't, she didn't play no games. And when that young man started weeping and she saw me pray for him, she grabbed him by the hand and danced him to the front of that tent. I turned around and thought, oh, no, no, Sister Willis is going to scare everybody away. That's not what happened. They followed behind her in single file line. They didn't know what to do, but they knew I need this. I don't know how to explain this, but I need it. There's an it factor here. There's a, there's a spirit moving, and I, I don't know how to respond to it. 
My God, my God. Brother Graham, I hadn't experienced that night. I had never experienced before. In that moment when faith was so high, I began to lay hands on people. And as I began to lay hands on them, one after another, they received the Holy Ghost. And I had a knowledge. God put in me a knowledge that if I could put my hand on their head, they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And deacons got the Holy Ghost. And the youth pastor got the Holy Ghost. And one after another, we're receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to have a move of the Holy Ghost. COVID doesn't scare the Holy Ghost. National unrest does not scare the Holy Ghost. The divisiveness in our nation does not scare the Holy Ghost. We were made for this moment. We are here for this hour. We've got the spirit factor. We've got something operating in us that the world needs to see. Don't try to put your finger on it. Don't try to figure it out. You can't figure it out, and the world can't figure it out. Just let it flow and let it go. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Hallelujah. We don't know how to explain it, but we're going to put Joseph over this project. Joseph is going to be ruler over this project because there is none so discreet and wise as he. Somebody go get Daniel in whom is an excellent spirit. They looked upon Stephen and he had like it was the face of an angel. And they could not resist the wisdom and the spirit with which he spake. Hallelujah. No, no. We've got to have the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I'm not, I don't want what the world has, Dr. Coulthorpe. I don't want it. I want, I want the real thing. Hallelujah. That man that was on this screen, Andrew David Urshan. I have the pleasure and the benefit of being four generations deep from what he gave to us. But he did not have that luxury. He stepped into America looking for an American dream. Not sure what he was going to find. He walked into that Pentecostal holiness mission. And he said when he walked in, it was crazy what he was seeing. None of it made any sense since it was like wildfire had erupted in that place and people from all backgrounds were speaking in funny foreign languages that didn't make any sense he did think they were crazy and he was uneasy about it until the man standing next to him who was a Chicago native lifted up his hands and began to speak in a beautiful unknown tongue the language wherein my great-grandfather was born. He understood every word. And he looked at this man who in, in an unknown tongue to him, but in my great-grandfather's Syriac language, he was saying, come Jehovah, I am yours, Jehovah. Jehovah, I am yours. Take me, Jehovah. Fill me, Jehovah. I belong unto you, Jehovah. 
He heard him saying it. He heard it with his ears. And he walked out of that place saying, I don't know how to put my finger on it. But there's something in there that's different. There's something in that place. He went to his Assyrian mission and preached to the young men that were a part of the Assyrian mission. And he said to them, listen, listen, we're going to tarry for the Holy Ghost. We're going to seek God to baptize us with the Holy Ghost. But he purposely never said anything to them about speaking with tongues. Because he wanted to be sure that it was real. And as they began to seek for the Holy Ghost, one by one, they began to receive the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. He was the pastor and he was the last one to receive the Holy Ghost. It's a spirit factor. It's a spirit factor. Don't you be ashamed of it. Hallelujah. Don't you be ashamed of it. When people walk in, let them see apostolic Pentecost. When they walk in, let them feel the Holy Ghost and fire. When they walk in, you praise God like you love to praise God. Don't hold back. Don't be ashamed of it. It's the real thing. It's the spirit factor. It's the Holy Ghost and power. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, oh, hallelujah. I'm coming to a close. I'm coming to a close. But hear me. We've, this is a preaching conference, a pulpit conference. Bishop Jones, thank you so much for your vision to see preachers multiplied. Hallelujah. The great commission fulfilled, preaching the gospel to every creature. When I was starting preaching, I was terrified to stand in front of people. And the truth is, I still am. I can't do it without the Holy Ghost. I was 10 years old, and I had, I had stepped out of myself to start worshiping God in, in, in song and in, not, not in front of people. Lord have mercy. I couldn't sing in front of anybody. Terribly afraid of, of people's judgment of me. And I, but, I, but I would be down, down on the front row, and when the worship of God would begin, I would worship Him with all my heart. Maybe I was little enough, I didn't think people could see me. But I danced before the Lord, and I worshipped Him. And I had a ministry, and I wanted to preach. God had put an understanding, a revelation of His oneness in my heart, and I wanted to preach it. But I couldn't put, I couldn't put sentences together. I, I take five weeks to put together five pages of notes, and it take me five minutes to deliver. And I was terrified. I stumbled and bumbled. And my father would take me to places to preach with him. He would preach to the congregation, and I would preach to the young people. My father would stand up. The pastor would arrange for the young people to go off into the chapel, and I would preach there. My father would preach in the pulpit. My father would, they would announce that the young people are going, and Brother Joel's going to preach. We'd all leave. And they'd turn the pulpit over to my father, and he'd stand up and make a few remarks and thank the pastor and read his text and announce his title and about that time here we were marching right back in because we were done I didn't know how to preach I, I was scared of people and terrified of young people and I, I didn't know what I was doing but I had a heart for God it was in Huntington West Virginia brother Edwin Harper had me preaching to his young people and I stood up behind the pulpit that day 
And I read my text and I announced my title and I was getting ready to go through another grueling experience of being ashamed and embarrassed and feeling like a failure. And then all of a sudden something touched me. And I knew I, I had felt that before. Never in preaching, but in worship. When I would dance before the Lord. When I would worship his name, he would visit me and I would commune with him. And there as I stood in that pulpit, I was 14 years old now. And while I was reading my text and my title, and I opened my mouth to declare his word. That same presence of God that came upon me in praise was now with me in preaching. And I realized I don't even have to preach. All I have to do is praise. I've got to do is worship God to you. So, no, I'm not an orator. No, no, I don't. I, I, I can't do it. I don't have all the wisdom and all the understanding. What I, but I, but I do have a connection to the Holy Ghost, and that's all I need. So I'm just going to worship Him to you. He's worthy. He's holy. He's mighty. He'll save to the uttermost. He'll deliver you from any addiction. Hallelujah. His Spirit has the power. He wants to use you. He wants to anoint you. He wants to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? That's the Holy Ghost coming upon you. Do you feel that? That's the presence of God filling this house. Hey, I want somebody to run to the front of this house and say, if I don't have anything else, I want the power of the Holy Ghost alive in me. Not by might, not by my power, but by His Spirit, saith the Lord. By His Spirit, saith the Lord. First Kings chapter 7 and beginning with the 13th verse. The word of the Lord says this, And King Solomon sent and fetched Hiram out of Tyre. He was a widow's son of the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in brass, and he was filled with wisdom and understanding and cunning to work all works in brass. And he came to King Solomon and wrought all his work. He was filled with wisdom and understanding and cunning. And I want to speak to you for a few moments this evening on this subject, the spirit factor. The spirit factor. Could we lift up our voices unto the Lord and ask Him to bless His Word? God, we thank You for every individual that has gathered into this place. I thank You for Your presence that has so graciously visited us already. The Word that has been clear, hallelujah, and refreshing of our soul. You have cleansed us through the preaching of Your Word. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you will continue this work. 
Lord, I pray that you'll allow my tongue to speak forth the words of life. Help me, I pray, to be anointed of your spirit. Help all of us to receive your word. Help all of us to obey your word. To be edified by the word of God, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. And amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. It would take a while to really do justice to the enormity of the, the excellence of Solomon's temple. There, there really is no way to, to fully fathom how outstanding this temple of Solomon was. It was a temple that was conceived in the heart of David, Solomon's father, who's, who described his vision for this temple as building a house for the Lord that is exceeding magnifical. I like, I like that language, exceeding magnifical. We, we don't use that word a whole lot. But David was using language to, to help people understand. I, I want it to be bigger, better than anything you've ever seen anywhere. How can I dwell in a, in a home? And yet there, in his mind, there is no home for the Lord. And yet David was unable to build a temple for the Lord because, as God would put it, his hands... His hands had been used for war. There was blood on his hands. His generation had a task that involved conquest and victory. It was, it was an arduous uphill climb for David. And, and David was not able to fulfill everything that was in his heart. And God said, but, but Solomon will. And I'm going to let you prepare things for him so that when he steps into his rightful place, he can build a temple for, for my, my name's sake. And Solomon did that. Solomon built a, a temple for the Lord. And it was outstanding. It was magnificent. It was exceeding magnificent. And so much so that the Bible tells of a, a famous account in which the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, came from the uttermost parts of the earth simply to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And when she did, she brought a great caravan of gifts and spices. She brought many, many gifts to bestow upon this man whose wisdom had spread throughout the earth, the fame of his wisdom. And the fame of this house he had constructed for the glory of the Lord. She came from the uttermost parts of the earth. As a matter of fact, it was so noteworthy that Jesus said that, that she would rise in judgment with his generation. Because she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And... When she arrived, she famously 
lost her breath, that there was no breath in her. It, it took her breath away. And when it did, she, she said to Solomon, what I heard was amazing. But she said, when I, when I have come and seen how happy are thy servants, or how blessed are thy servants, how prosperous are thy servants. Servants weren't prosperous in those days. The king was prosperous, but the servants were not prosperous. But Solomon was different than other kings. His servants were blessed servants. They were prosperous. And she said, she said, the half has not been told. Now, whatever half had been told was enough to compel her from the uttermost parts of the earth. But here she stands saying that what I heard drew me to this place. But I'm experiencing something that I did not anticipate experiencing. And I want you to know that that is how the power and the presence of the Lord operates. There is one half of this gospel that must be told. And there's another half that must be experienced. There's one half that must be declared. But, but you haven't seen, heard, or felt anything until you step into it and experience the freedom that comes from repenting of your sins, being baptized in his precious name, and being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. When Jesus looked upon the lilies, he, he said to those listening to him, consider these lilies, how they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed as one of these lilies. When he sought to, to make a comparison to an individual or to an event in time that, that was just simply beyond imagination, he, he leapt to the idea of Solomon's temple. Look at these lilies. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of these lilies. There's just no way to really describe how magnificent this temple of Solomon was. And, and yet there were, there were points in time and there were pivotal moments along the way. Solomon had a gift from God. And the gift he had from God was an understanding heart. He had wisdom that came from the Lord. It separated him, if you please, from the pack, if I may say it that way. He had a wisdom and an understanding heart. And so he was able to put his hand to certain things and apply himself to certain things. And it flourished. And that's what, it happened. That, that's what happened in the construction of this temple. One pivotal moment in this process was when he included a man by the name of Hiram. Hiram was, there were a couple of Hirams, and they were both out of Tyre. But this Hiram was a worker in brass. And Hiram, who was uh, out of Tyre, he was a widow's son of the tribe of Naphtali. His father was a man of Tyre. He was a worker in brass. And he was filled with wisdom, he was filled with understanding, and he was filled with cunning. 
and he was able to work all manner of work in the area of brass. And he wrought all his work for King Solomon. Solomon saw something in Hiram that he didn't see in just anybody else. And he brought him from this place of Tyre, from the tribe of Naphtali, a widow's son. But his dad raised him up on the family tray of working brass. The Bible said he had wisdom, he had understanding, and he had cunning. Now wisdom is a reference to his skill, to his abilities, his honed craft, this ability to take brass and do something with it. He was, he was an individual who had spent his life learning. He was raised up by a very competent and capable worker in brass. He, he grew up in that trade and he learned the lingo and the, he learned the terms and he understand how the business operated and, and it was not something that was foreign to him. He, he was involved in the shop talk, if you please, and sitting around listening to dad talk about working in brass. He, he was very accustomed to it and he was skilled in it from the time he was a little child. He knew all there was to know about brass and and no doubt he applied himself and continued learning of this very, very uh, amazing trade that his family had seemed to, to perfect. And, and so much so that Solomon said he has wisdom. He's filled with skills and abilities. I want him involved. Not only was he filled with wisdom, skills, and abilities, but he was filled with understanding. Understanding, this understanding is a, has to do with his experience, things that he had experienced along the way. It wasn't just a book he had read. It wasn't just some kind of a theory to this man Hiram. No, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. It, he knew what he was doing because he had done it before. He had, he had, he had met deadlines. He had been given it large tasks to complete. He had a lot of work that he had uh, kind of in his, in his file, if you please. And, and, and he was full of experience, full of ability. He was wise and he was understanding. But he wasn't just wise and he wasn't just understanding. He was cunning. That's, a, that's an interesting word. It's not a word we would use in a positive connotation. In our lexicon, the way we use the word cunning, we would, we would maybe think of it as a, a sly or maybe a deceptive quality. Something that, that has to do with some sneakiness afoot. Some kind of a cunning way about us. But that's not what the Bible's referring to. The Bible is using the word cunning in the context of knowledge unawares. I'm going to say that again. It is knowledge unawares. So he's filled with wisdom, skill, ability. He has 
book learning. He knows what he's talking about because he has studied it. He's memorized it. He's been raised around it. He's filled with understanding because he has much experience in the way of working with brass. He knows the right temperatures and he knows when the brass is most flexible and he knows how to develop it as he begins his constructive work. But then there's this other quality and that's the quality I really want to kind of talk to you about tonight. There's a, there's a cunning that he has and not everybody has that part of it. A lot of people are able to, to develop skills and abilities. It's, it, it is, it is, a, it is a, a Herculean effort but you can take time as you are even right now, applying yourself to gain more skill and ability. Open up the books and read what has been written. Learn more and don't stop learning when you finish at Urshan College. Keep on learning. Never stop learning. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. A lot of people have applied themselves to gain skill, and, and rightfully so. And you should, and you should continue. And you should develop understanding, experience. I, I, I can't over-enunciate the, the, the great benefit that comes from experience. I, I, I was young and, and now am progressing in age. And I have... I have been amazed at how experience helps in ministry and in life. Once you've experienced something, and that's why God will allow you to experience certain things. Not so you can be discouraged, but so that you can gain in that area of understanding and in that area of experience. Experience gives you something that nothing else can provide to you. And so you gain experience. Get those experiences in life and tuck them away and hide them in your heart and let God lead you all the way through. But there's this third quality Hiram had. And this quality is something you can't learn in a book. This is a quality that nobody can, can teach you with a chalkboard. Nobody can teach you in an online setting. No, no, no. This isn't something that you can gain even from certain experiences. This is a knowledge you don't even know how you have it. You just do. It's just there. It's a knowledge unawares. It's, it's a certain cunning. It's a, a certain ability, a certain presence of mind. In the business world, they would call it the it factor. The it factor. They're constantly looking for people who get it. Whatever it is, your guess is as good as mine. That's the whole point. It's meant to be nebulous. It's supposed to be vague. They don't know how to put their finger on it. And neither do you. Nobody does. That's the point. You can't teach it. You can't learn it. You can't pick it up somewhere. Nobody can really explain it to you. It's, it is nebulous. It is hard to describe. There is no articulation for it. It's an it fact. It's a charisma, it's a discretion, it's an ability, a knowledge. You don't even know how you have it, you, you just do. You just know how to 
do it. You, you just know how to say it. I don't know where it came from. It's just there's, I have a little niche here. I, I have, a, I have a, a way of doing it that works. I don't know where it came from. It's, 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 it's an it factor. Hiram, I'll submit to you, seems to have had an it factor. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a part of his knowledge. It, it wasn't a part of his wisdom. It, it wasn't his skill set. It wasn't his life experience. It was, it was a, certain, a certain abstract ability that he had to work with his hands and to meet deadlines and to orchestrate people and to get things done and to do it the right way and for everything to kind of flow in an orderly manner. It, it was a cunning and he did this in the temple. He built brass. The temple had so many cubits. It was so many cubits high. So many cubits wide. So many cubits deep. There, were, there was all kinds of order to it. There, and all of the order had spiritual significance. Every little cubic inch of that temple was in a correct measurement to the divine principles of God. And, and, and yet here Hiram comes in and, and he's not a worker of gold and he's not a worker of silver he's a worker of brass and when he starts applying his hand to the development of brass he starts building pillars in the temple and then he has lilies that are made of brass and pomegranates that are made of brass and wreaths that are made of brass and a splash here and a flash there and a flare here and a little pizzazz over there and the temple started to pop and come alive not 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 by by any kind of a, a book learning, but but there was a there was a combination of of book learning and and life experience, and and then there was this other factor, this this cunning, this this it this it factor. Many, many people in the business world are looking for it. Ralph Lauren was known to, to look at the way people conducted themselves and, 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 and operated and the way they combined certain clothing. And, and he, would, he would study people's style. And many times he didn't even want an interview. He just would just observe the sophistication of the way they carried themselves. And, and then he would walk up and say, I want you to work for me. Uh, Bill Walsh, the legendary coach of the San Francisco 49ers, was, was scouting for for a quarterback and so they they brought the quarterback out to throw for them and when the the quarterback was throwing he brought his roommate out to run routes so that he could throw the football to him and and uh, just so that the the scouts could see him and his work and they were watching him throw one pass after another and they were taking notes and watching all that they needed to watch the form and the and the agility and the the flexibility, and as they're observing the, the, the routes being run and the passes being thrown, the, the, the passes were being received by the receiver, and, and, and pretty soon they started looking more to the receiver than they were the quarterback, and they were watching the routes he was running, and their minds drifted from the man throwing the football to the man that was receiving the football because they saw an it factor in him. He had a certain ability and a certain way that he did it. There was a nuance. There was an intangible that they couldn't put their finger on. And when they, when they, when they looked at it more carefully, they forgot about the quarterback completely and ended up going after Dwight Clark, who was one of the great San Francisco 49er wide receivers. This, this is the way that it worked for them. Larry Ellison, the chairman of Oracle Technologies, will often not 
even look at a resume or an application. He'll sit down with a person and he'll talk about what he wants to talk about. And he wants to see how they react and what they respond to and how they respond. He's looking for something that you can't find in a book. He's looking for something you can't find in a classroom. He's, he's looking for an it factor. I want you to know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is important for you to understand that you are made in the image of Almighty God. It is important for you to understand that before He formed you in the womb, He knew you and ordained you for His purpose. God has made you. You are His people and the sheep of His pasture. No, no, you are not an accident. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God has a design for you. God puts certain things inside of you because he has a plan for your life. Yes, you need to apply yourself. Yes, you need some life experience. But there's this other factor that separates you from the past. There's this other outstanding quality that is so very interesting and not to be ignored. Hear, hear, what I'm, hear what I'm telling you tonight. Some of you were patting your foot to the rhythm of music when you were one and a half year old. And everybody thought it was so cute and so funny. And now here you are singing and playing music to the glory of God. Some of you were analytical all your life. You wanted to tear things up and put them back together just to satisfy your curiosity for how things worked. Because God put inside of you the ability to engineer and to put things together and to analyze things. Some of you were born with a larger than life personality where you just took over a room and you were a bright ray of sunshine. Others of you were more quiet, more content to stay in the background but there was a deep desire in you to be a part of a team, to make something good happen. I want you to know that any and all that God put inside of you he can use for his glory. And I rebuke every unclean spirit that has tried to deceive you into feeling defeated or unneeded. We need you. We need your talent. We need your ability. We need your book learning. We need your life experience. We need all of you, the things that make you uniquely you. But I have not come to talk to you about an it factor. I have come to talk to you about the spirit factor. I have come to talk to you about the fact that God is not interested in what you bring to the table. God is interested in what you bring to the altar. Because if you'll bring it to the altar... I said, if you'll bring it to the altar and let it die. I said, let it die. Give it to God. 
I'm going to tell you what will happen. Yes, it'll die in that prayer room. Yes, it'll die at that altar. But it will be raised to life in the glory of his resurrection power. Hallelujah. You got singing ability? Give it to God and watch what he does with it. You've got an administrative edge? Bring it to God and watch what he can do with it. You can play an instrument? Bring it to God and watch what he can do with it. You've got wisdom and skills and abilities? You've got understanding and life experiences? Bring it to God and watch what he can do with it. He will sanctify it. He will baptize it with his holy power. He will anoint it for his glory and for his purpose. Hallelujah. And it won't just be an it factor. It'll be a spirit factor. Brother Coltharp, thank you for saying what you said. We don't need to be like the world. We don't need to be like the world. The world is not satisfied with the world. The world is looking for the church, the true church, the real church, the real power, the real glory, real faith in Jesus Christ, real prayer and fasting, real seeking of the face of Almighty God. You want to be like the world? That's because you haven't tried the Holy Ghost. I know you think you have. But if you taste and see that the Lord is good, you will never thirst again. I said you will never thirst again. You'll come to this well every time. God is spirit and he's seeking those to worship him who are true worshipers, who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Ah, hallelujah. I'm telling you that when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, he will do through you something you could never do on your own. And you will never want to try to do it on your own. I'm sorry, but I refuse to preach without the Holy Ghost. I refuse to... Brother Jones, I can't pastor without the Holy Ghost. I can't do it. I don't know how anybody could. I don't even want to try. I need the Holy Ghost. I need the Spirit of God. Ah. Hallelujah. Listen, you, you, you wouldn't want to hear me preach without the Holy Ghost. You wouldn't want to hear me speak, teach. You wouldn't want to know me without the Holy Ghost. It's real. The Spirit of God is real. Hallelujah. His word goes forth. And when his word goes forth, he provides the structure that is necessary. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. They were framed by the word of God. But I want you to know that that word was not just an uttered uh, a con collection of consonants and vowels. But with every word 
word that was spoken. There was breath in that word. That breath is pneuma. Hallelujah. That's the wind of God. And the wind of God came through every word when he said, let there be light. Put your hand in front of your, in front of your mouth sometime. Maybe you have your mask on, can't feel it. But, but when you say, let there be light, there's breath in that word. I want you to know that when his word said, let the fowls multiply, his word framed it. But the spirit was in the word. And the spirit began to make bluebirds blue and red birds red. The spirit began to move upon the waters. The spirit of God was in every word that was spoken. When you preach the word of God, don't try to preach the word of God without the pneuma. Don't try to declare the word of God without the unction of the Holy One. Don't try to reach the needs of this generation with your intellect or with your skill. Skill is good, but it needs to be with the spirit factor. Don't try to do it with your experience. Experience is good, but always factor it. The Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. He formed man of the dust of the ground. And then after the structure was in place, he breathed. 